1: plug in and get
0: connected to hot tips interesting perspectives and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to a special episode of Talk Travel Asia. Today we're going to be talking about traveling in Nepal post-earthquake as every week or two I'm here with my co-host Scott Coates. How are you doing today Scott?
1: Good, man. I am in Kuala Lumpur. You are in Bangkok. And we decided that following the two earthquakes in Nepal and having good personal connections there, it was time to talk a little bit about it. So obviously on April 25th, a 7.8 earthquake hit Nepal, centered in the Gorkha region, which is sort of midway between Kathmandu and Pokhara. About 8,000 plus are dead. Uh, Many without homes, of course, injured. People are trying to rebuild their lives. Then another one hit on May 12th, a 7.3 and everyone's always known another quake was due. The last big big one was in 1934 but um, you know people are sort of wondering if there's going to be more earthquakes but more importantly how do you build, rebuild your lives and this is a country where one of the big sources of foreign income is tourism and there's kind of a, a phrase tossed around that the real second wave of disaster is if people don't come to Nepal in the fall season so the peak seasons there are march april may and october november so everyone's looking forward to kind of october november and saying to people like look the whole country isn't destroyed Kathmandu's still working the best thing you can do to help is to still come on your trip so we're going to talk to a good friend Mas Smethiason about that and uh, get into it a bit more but before we go further uh, why don't you tell us about our sponsor today Trump?
0: yeah today's sponsor is Beervana. Beervana is a craft beer distributor importing and distributing tasty American, Norwegian, Japanese and other specialty beers uh, from around the world into Thailand, Hong uh, Bangkok, now Vietnam and soon mm. to be Indonesia. Uh, full disclosure I love beer.
1: Mm. How about you Scott? Me too and I I, I love it. And I just had a rogue here and I know that they import rogue beer too.
0: Yep. So you can, uh, you can get beer at more than a hundred different venues across Thailand. Uh, you can go to seekbeervana, seek beer S E E K beervana.com to find out where all of those locations mm. are, or you can download the beer me smartphone app. And, uh, I believe you can sign up to get it delivered directly to your home.
1: Yes, please. Well, look, I've been lucky enough to go to Nepal about eight or ten times, and uh, I've led some trips there with our guests. And during those times, I've been lucky enough to do some tracks that are way off the beaten path, including the Gorkha region, for five or six days, which was where the big first earthquake hit. And I have a real appreciation for the country, its people, and it's just horrible to see what's happened. But with tourism being such an important source of foreign capital, we want to stress today the whole thing is to continue... Traveling to Nepal now Trevor have you ever been there? I
0: have never been in Nepal and uh, I do have some friends uh, Who are from there or live there and I've heard great things about it and it's always been on my to-do list I, I just haven't made it over and now I'm like I understand how earthquakes work and I understand that Nepal is quite a large country so I know that an earthquake that happens in, in one part of the country isn't going to affect the entire country any more than say an earthquake in, in San Francisco would would cause problems in Los Angeles or San Diego so um, I know that there's a lot of things to do ac- across the country Um, I know that uh, hundreds of thousands of tourists visit the country every year, and Nepal employs hundreds of thousands of people through the tourism business. So in my opinion, uh, when the the numbers are going to drop off this year, it's my thought that you would want to go now when there's less tourists going so that you can enjoy some of the areas that are unaffected without the crowds that you would normally experience there.
1: Yeah, let me just throw out a few numbers that I I found researching online. About eight hundred thousand tourists visit to the country in twenty thirteen, providing about half a million jobs. Uh, It brought in about six hundred and fifty U.S. million dollars in twenty thirteen, and you know it's just crushing it. I mean, it's without that money coming in, um, the country's in dire shape. So. Again, I've talked to Mass prior to this interview. I've talked to some other friends I have there, and and he's going to say the same thing. But I think the big message of this episode is, is travel to Nepal, spend more, travel awesome or travel often. But uh, yeah, maybe we should talk to a real. Answer. Yeah,
0: you know, because sorry, yeah. Scott, I was just gonna say that, you know, a lot of people probably have donated money and they're like, you know, your your donations are, are certainly helpful because they do need to, to rebuild a lot of people's homes or provide medical supplies or, or whatnot. But the bottom line is just that a lot of people's bread and butter is based in, in the tourism industry that they don't need like a one-time gift for. You know, the, the industry requires people to travel there. Um there's a lot of attractions that mass is going to tell us about and uh, we're just hoping that people don't write it off just because uh they had this disaster recently that uh when did you say the last earthquake was like 80 years ago or something like that um Yeah, so it's unfortunate that they just had back-to-back earthquakes but uh, you know earthquakes occur all over the world and uh it's most likely going to be safe to travel to nepal in the near future and uh and mass is going to tell us why
1: our guest today is Mas Mathiesen, a Danish citizen who's lived and worked in Nepal for more than a decade. He's deeply embraced life and the tradition of Nepalese, and he's led the way in developing kind of breakout tourism ventures in the country. He joins us today via Skype from Kathmandu. Hi there, Mas.
2: Hi, Scott, and hi, Trevor, uh, and thanks for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for... Uh making a connection work from the hills in Nepal there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it may not work all all the way. Let's see if the ground shakes or if the connections (laughs) play up, but uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed.
1: Well, let's just, before we get into the kind of current issues of the day, let's kind of back up for a bit of context about you. Uh, Full disclosure, I've known you for about nine years, and you used to operate uh, the trips we used to do in Nepal. But for everyone listening, when did you first settle in Nepal, and
2: how did you end up? I first um, came to Nepal in 1996 by coincidence, and um, I I, I actually had no interest in traveling to Asia, but was talked into (laughs) going for a trek in Nepal, and... It did to me what it's done to so many people. I I fell in love with the country and within sort of the next couple of years, I just kept coming back and coming back. And then yeah, by 98, I had pretty much decided that this would be the place I wanted to live, at least try it out for a little while. And I've been trying it out for a little while since. Well, you know,
0: I've never been to Nepal, so I'm curious,
2: uh, what exactly is it that you love about living and working there? It's a really hard one to answer. I think, the people is, is definitely what makes Nepal, uh, and, and you know we'll get to that later, but you know, they've just, uh, time and time again, uh, opened their arms, their houses, everything to me here, from the first time I got here. And then uh, I think it's the craziness, it's the chaos. It's all of that that we don't get uh, in Denmark. Denmark, for me, is way too orderly. Uh, and this uh, this has a totally different energy
1: wow so you've been there about 16 years more or less how have you seen tourism change over that period
2: tourism um, in in a lot of areas tourism hasn't really changed that much tregs for many companies and many in many areas are run the same way guest houses might be you know a bit more fancy than they used to be or a lot more fancy but in, in a lot of ways, tourism hasn't changed that much, and that's been one of the things that I have been trying to do because I think, you know, we live in a in a different age now than when, when people started coming here in the 1960s, so we've been trying to sort of slightly change a few things um, over the years.
0: Wow, so... I mean, I understand, like, Kathmandu is probably a totally different scene than, say, like, the Everest scene. Um, maybe you could explain a little bit different about the, the types of attractions maybe there for some of the people that aren't familiar with
2: that. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, when you say Nepal and the Himalayas, you they instantly think, ooh, cold and white mountain peaks. and. But it's it's so much, you know, you have the the biggest diversity on the planet probably in Nepal, all from, you know, just a hundred meters above sea level to the top of Everest, the the highest mountain in the world. And within all of that you have every climate zone you can imagine, and people, you know, living their lives in totally different ways from the tropics to the to the cold areas up above three thousand meters. So um, Kathmandu is is right in the middle in the foothills, and uh, it's it's you know been the heart of the country uh, for so many years culturally and economically, um, and it it really is uh, where you know Nepal has evolved from. The Kathmandu Valley in the old days was actually called Nepal, so that is uh, where the country comes from. Hmm.
1: Well, we want to get to talking about sort of what's happened over the last few weeks and how it's going to impact the future of tourism there. But I mean, you've sort of been hit with a, a double whammy as for tourism because last year, I mean, of course, was this big Everest disaster. How did, how did that impact tourism in the country last year?
2: The, the climbing scene is totally different. Um, it does not really impact on tourism in general. It's, it's a totally different market, it's a totally different scene and the fact that, you know, 18 people died on Everest last year certainly didn't matter anything for numbers this year. There was more climbers on Everest this year than there were in, in previous years, so um, and, and overall tourism, I don't think it, it matters anything. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's even, you know, like it's just gets the name out there, you know, you shouldn't say that, but like people hear about Nepal whenever something happens on Everest, whether it's good or bad.
0: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, this year, the the earthquake that struck kind of affected the entire country. Yeah. Where were you when the earthquake happened and, and what was
2: the experience like? Well, thankfully, I was up here at our house on the Kathmandu Valley Rim. We sort of live uh, in in the forest in a national park about 400 meters above the valley floor. And I'm thankful that uh, I and my family, we were up here, so we, we could very quickly get out of the house and into you know open space and and then just take it from there. Hmm.
1: So I, I know that you commute a lot because I've, I've had the pleasure of staying at your house and you'll often even ride a bicycle down to the valley and your office is kind of right in the, the heart of a trendy area of the city. Um, now that you've had these two earthquakes, what does do and other areas you've been to look like?
2: Well, and that's, that's the crazy thing. So... Let me step back just one step Scott and as you know, mm-hmm. right after the earthquake I look out over Kathmandu, and all I can see is just plumes of dust and Each plume is very easy to imagine is is one house that's gone down, right? so yeah. and Communication is knocked out everything you know The first thing I do is I jump on the sat phone and I give a call to my my dad in Denmark and to Claire's parents in Australia and, and just say okay, you're gonna hear about this, but we're okay Boom, done. And then for three, four days, we were basically on a deserted island up here with uh, no phone communication except for the sat phone and no internet. Um, and then then on the third, I think the third or the fourth day, I went down to Kathmandu and, and in answer to your question on my commute, you know, it was surreal after seeing all of that from above that all that destruction Right, mm-hmm. uh, driving into my office. If I hadn't known there had been an earthquake, I wouldn't know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how how it affects different areas uh, differently, depending on the topography, geography, the the building, and stuff like that. From my understanding, though, Nepal is generally not a, a well-to-do country with with great world-class infrastructure to start with. So I'm wondering, like, how well the the
2: country is equipped to to handle any sort of tourism moving forward. Well. Nepal is not Haiti either, and, and you know thankfully, a lot of the infrastructure in, in Kathmandu uh, withstood the earthquake. Uh, some areas, as you say, with different soil, whatever uh, makes it happen, totally collapsed, other areas uh, withstood it without even a scratch. Um, so it, it's really, really different. you know i I would say Kathmandu give it give it a couple of months and um, you know things will be cleaned up in in the areas where people tourists normally come you wouldn't actually know there had been an earthquake Um, moving out and around in the country it's it's a totally different scenario because uh, sort of mid hills and up uh, for for all of central nepal everything almost everything is collapsed in terms of buildings Um, so so, obviously, that part of Nepal um, tourism is not going to recover very fast.
1: You know, I've been lucky enough to travel to a number of areas courtesy of you. I mean, we trekked the Gork area, you took me there years ago and whatnot. But despite feeling like I've been a lot of places, when I look at the map of Nepal, people, you know, picture it's a small country, but it's very mountainous. And I've really been very, very few places. So. When this happened, I kind of thought back to when I was living in Thailand when the tsunami hit in 2004, and I was in Bangkok and the tsunami hit way down in the southwest. And I remember people calling me saying like, "Oh, are you okay in Bangkok? Is it flooded?" And they had this picture like the whole country's covered in water. And it, I immediately sort of drew parallels to what's happened in Nepal. And I'm thinking, okay, you've said there's midhill areas that are collapsed and whatnot, but looking ahead to kind of the fall season in October and November, I'm guessing there's still tons of areas that you can go to that are just fine
2: oh yeah i mean there, there's so many areas that are fine and and despite you know all the images that have been on on tv um since this earthquake happened you know Kathmandu, as i said um to tourism infrastructure very little damage obviously there's some of the world heritage site that are partially damaged but it's still one of the most amazing places for cultural heritage in the world mm-hmm. and pokra pretty much totally unharmed Chitwan, the national parks in the south, nothing's happened. Uh, We've been in touch with most of the trekking lodges up in the Everest region. And the lodges are fine. Some of the older houses in the villages are not. Uh, The lodges Mm -hmm. are fine in that area. All of the Annapurna area somehow escaped it. Down low on Mm -hmm. on the eastern side, yeah, again, sort of similar story. Some of the older houses collapsed, but the better teahouses are still standing. Um, but anything up in Upper Mustang, and then you know all everything west of Pokhara. If you if you look at a map of, of Nepal, Pokhara is is kind of in the middle. Uh, many yeah. people think it's it's Kathmandu, but Pokhara is it's sort of in the middle from east to west, and everything west of of Pokhara is fine, and there's some amazing trekking out there.
1: So sorry, Trevor. Before you get to your question, just one here, like. I have a really good picture of Kathmandu. I mean, are there still lots of hotels that are just fine? They're standing. They're open for business and whatnot.
2: Any any major hotel is is open for business and it's fine and it's been cleared uh, by by our, um, engineers to to be safe and sound. Um, you know, there's some of the smaller backpacker lodges in in Tamil that I would not recommend mm-hmm. people going yeah. uh, go and stay in, um, both because of the the way that that area is very, very congested, but also because, yeah, a lot of the buildings in there have been compromised and it'll take some time to, to clear that mess up.
0: Yeah, see, I think that would be my concern as a tourist. And, and I understand that lots of people are, are somewhat ignorant to, to plate tectonics and whatnot. I took uh, I took an earthquake quakes class when I was at USC in Los Angeles and if you were afraid of going to Nepal because they recently had an earthquake you should be similar afraid, similarly afraid of going to Japan or going to San Francisco or going to, to Indonesia or you know there's there's hundreds of places around the world that have the potential for earthquakes. I think uh, what I would be most concerned about is staying in a building that's been structurally damaged already um, so it's good to hear that there are engineers checking buildings and making sure that they are safe for people to come back to. Um, does Does Nepal get a,
2: a large percentage of its economy from tourism? I mean, it's it's not. It it, it is a big um, boost to jobs in Nepal. We say for every tourist that comes to Nepal, there's pretty much nine people get a job. Um, so. You can imagine that's for employment. It's so tremendously important that people do not forget Nepal. And if, if people stop coming and, and next autumn is, is, you know, a total cancellation, then we have a second disaster. Um, it's not it's not. I can't say that tourism is, is, you know, the top income generator for the country. It's not. It's probably sitting somewhere down in, in seventh position, uh, but yeah it employs a lot of people and most of those people actually come from the exact region that is the hardest hit so if we let them down in terms of uh, employing them in the tourism industry then they really have a problem now because they need they need to rebuild they need to have hope for the future and uh, this is one way we can we can give them that yeah.
0: And again, just sorry, Scott, from my experience, again, like if, if people lose their homes in, in rural areas, there's the possibility of, of many more people moving into the city, which is where the tourists are going to come to first and foremost. And, and therefore, it would make sense that the tourists do start to return to Nepal to, to give these people some economic uh, opportunities.
1: Yeah. So, so, Mass, I mean, people that are going to come, I mean, I know peak season there, March, April, and sort of May, so we're getting to the end of it now. And then the next big time is October, November. You're talking about autumn. So kind of looking ahead to then, if people were planning on visiting then, what should they keep in mind? Like if they had this, you know, thing on their checklist that they had to do and they can't, what do you, what do you say to people who are planning on coming? Well,
2: I, I would say to them, seek advice from, you know, a reputable travel company because, you know, they will if they're not local, then they'll have local companies underground who can give, you know, good advice about where is safe and where is not. Um that that is the first key to that. The second is, you know, just just sort of um you know it it'll it'll be it'll be in social media, it'll be everywhere that you can kind of follow where things are happening again the first areas that and we we actually have a few tourists in the country already and they're in upper mustang which is on the tibetan plateau and that that that's you know not um affected and people can start traveling there from you know once the monsoon slows down towards the end of august it's like uh, the best time of year to be there so that's mm-hmm. the, the starting point i would say for our autumn season is, is that area up there and then the rest of the, the country, which has not been affected by earthquake, uh, will follow you know, later in the autumn.
0: Well, that's good to know because, you know, I always thought that, uh, you know, there will be a drop off in tourism likely because of this event. So really, in my opinion, it's a good time to go because you can go and see and do things um, that would normally have a lot more tourists and you can kind of have it to yourself. So if people were to come later in this year, like, what do you recommend, like, where should they head to? That would be a good, good place to go now. Um, where, because it's not so
2: affected and because there's less people than normal. I mean, Everest has always been the draw card. Uh, a lot of people in the autumn, you know, think there's too many people up there. As you say, there's probably not going to be too many people that this year. So if, if that's where, you know, you really wanted to go, then that, that is probably it's going to be a good autumn for going there. Uh, but Nepal is so much more than Everest, as we talked about. You know, there's all of these uh, trekking areas uh, west of Pokhara and uh, they're amazing. And then there's our national parks. Once it starts getting a bit cooler in, into October, our national parks in the south, tigers in Bardia National Park, and rhinos in in Chitwan National Park. It's uh, there's there's so many different things to see and do, and listing them now would um, would take <laughs> up a lot of time.
1: Well, it it sounds like what I had suspected. I mean, again, going back to my tsunami analogy, is that most of the country is just fine, and unfortunately, only graphic images, grab, you know, images on, on TV and get our attention. So going ahead, I mean, people are are looking at coming in the fall. Kathmandu sounds like it's going to be all right. What are the spots just for people to think like, okay, this fall, I'm not going to go there. The Gorkha area is kind of a no-go for the fall. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So you can uh, you can see Gorkha and then anything east of there, as I said, in the mid So that's anything, you know, kind of above Kathmandu Langtang. um going oh, all gentleman. yeah Langtang is definitely a no-go and it will be a no-go for quite a few years unfortunately mm-hmm. um, yeah. but some areas will recover faster than others but this autumn anything you know Gorka um Ganesh Himal, Langtang, Yugal Himal, Rolvaling, um anything basically between Annapurna mm-hmm. and Everest is out mm-hmm. um, for, for a number of reasons, uh, one, the infrastructure is down, two, I certainly wouldn't recommend uh, people coming for disaster tourism, it's, it doesn't sit well with me on yeah. any account.
1: And you know, the one neat thing about my experiences I've had with you, and that kind of lends to the fact that you can go so many other areas, is that I've, geez, I've trekked with you maybe like eight times now or so, and people always ask me like, oh, so did you go to Annapurna Base Camp? I'm like, no, did you go to Everest Base Camp? Nope. No is that you took me to, you know, tracks just south of Kathmandu in the lower mountains. You've taken me out Cherry Plot Way. You've taken me out Gorka Way. And the point is, is that basically you can almost get off a bus anywhere and start walking into the hills. So, I mean, there's just countless areas you can go, and I certainly would feel safe to go, and it's good to hear from you that you feel safe. Um, let me just throw one more in there. I mean, we had all hoped that it would just be the the one big earthquake, and then the second one happens... I mean, what's the mood there now? I know no one can predict it, but are are you and are people kind of thinking there's another one coming, or how long until you start to feel comfortable to go back indoors
2: yeah that that second earthquake really um you know really busted a lot of people up more so than the first one because you know the first one happened, people kicked into survival mode and and you know did what they had to do, started camping out everything. Then the aftershocks started dropping off and boom, we were hit with another big one, right? And, and people have been very scared since then. Um, now it's it's myself included. Uh, I've been going to the office this week. Um, we are beginning to find our feet again and beginning to, to get into routines, which is what you have to do to kind of um, get back on your feet um, and I think, you know, give it another month and and see how the aftershakes are. You know, like the scientists say, the the, the chance of another big aftershake is are very very small now. But you know, that's all statistical. Um, so let us just hope that uh, that the worst is over for now. Yeah, for
0: sure. Well, uh, it's good to hear that there still are some areas worth checking out. And and like I I think uh, it it's probably a great time to go this fall uh, if you want to go to some areas that would otherwise be crowded and uh, i guess it would definitely help some of the people who rely on tourism for their jobs
2: absolutely trevor and it it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you travel here generously Uh, whether you come and just stay for a long weekend on a spa holiday in Kathmandu in one of the top hotels or whether you go trekking for five weeks uh, a mountain bike trip or a river rafting trip as long as as you come and and you one support people in having jobs and and to give actually give them hope right now um that that matters it, it doesn't matter kind of how you do it right now as long as you inject some economy and some hope into to this situation it's it's all good
1: that would be kind of fun just a, a final point to throw in is to actually start a relief campaign where instead of raising money it's it's you know join my relief campaign to go on a great two-week trip to Nepal this October. So maybe that's something that we should actually think about doing. That'd be quite fun. But uh, Mas, you know, you've been a great friend and you exposed me to that country and really instilled a a deep love of it for me. So thank you very much for making time to connect. I know it wasn't real easy for you to do, but thanks for sharing kind of the real deal on the ground with us. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, Um, Scott, I thought that was a pretty interesting special episode.
1: Yeah, that was fascinating, man. And, you know, I've known Mass, as I said, for a long time, about nine years. And, you know, I've got the picture of the country and the picture of his house because I stayed there in May two years ago for a month. And yeah, you know, I just feel so badly for him and the people in Nepal. And I, I said it twice in, in the talk with Mass is that, you know, it's just so unfortunate that you see images and then the whole country is disaster in people's minds. But it's just not the case, right? I mean, the best thing people can do is... is still travel there is to book a trip even if they weren't going to go there and spend more than they were going to spend. And unfortunately, so many people get scared by those images on TV. I just fear that, you know, he said the second wave of disaster come fall without those tourist dollars, it's going to happen. But, you know, if you're listening, you were going to go somewhere else, go to Nepal.
0: Yeah. You know what I'm thinking is that like, I haven't been to Nepal, but I, I've seen it on the map, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe Nepal is kind of A little bit smaller than California, but sideways rather than than north-south oriented. So the way I think about it is like, okay, there was an earthquake uh, north of San Francisco, so you shouldn't go to San Diego. Like that doesn't really make sense. You know, if people put it into perspective and think, yeah, you know what, there could be a big earthquake in in one part of the state or one part of the country, that wouldn't really affect the other part of the country at all.
1: Yeah, totally. And You know, I think Nepal, if you flattened it, it would be 25 times larger. So actually area, right? Like you look on the map, you don't think it's that big. But because it's got vertical stuff going on, it's actually 25 yeah, times yeah. larger. So it's it's a big place. And just like you said, like because something happened in one place doesn't mean the other is bad. And I mean, if there's one guy I would trust there, it's mass. Like if he says, you know what, the major hotels and all the kind of ones you'd actually want to sleep in are open and safe, I believe it. And you know, when he said, okay, there's still tons of monuments to see. Man, Nepal is like walking through a living museum. So, yeah, okay, some towers and things are down. But, I mean, I can assure you from many visits that there are no end of cool things to see. So there's still, I'm sure, of standing, like he said. And, uh, yeah, I have said it already. But, you know, I, I should try and get my wife and, and myself to go there this fall. Aid relief, treat yourself to a holiday. Go spend as much money as you can and just have fun.
0: Yeah, you know, especially because he was saying one of the things he loves about the country is the people, you know. So I think that like the resilience of the people would be something that that you could see and appreciate and and still experience no matter what the conditions were like uh, geographically. Also I think like obviously people know about Everest and and people have heard of Kathmandu but uh, he mentioned something that I didn't think a lot about uh, despite the fact that one of my APLP classmates works in wildlife but there's some amazing uh, outdoor national parks and he was talking about rhinoceroses and and wild tigers and uh, you know why not go on some sort of camping trip to the great outdoors. I'm sure like that kind of thing is possible.
1: Well that's the thing and before I'd really gone there and, and designed trips with with and whatnot, I had no idea. It goes from 78 meters near India, this like flat lowlands, right up to the highest point on earth. So yeah you have these hot lowlands down there that are absolutely fine and that's the cool thing about a trip there is in like two weeks or less. I mean you can have the mountain trekking experience, you can have an amazing old school city experience, you can trek in the mountains you can go see rhinoceros and tiger in the south like yeah it doesn't just have to be one thing there are so many options there like yeah it's incredible has such great diversity definitely one of my favorite places in the world and you know it has one of the highest return rates of any country in the world like when people go there man they like really fall in love with the place right
0: you sold me i mean again i don't have that much time to get to go everywhere i'd love to go and and we always talk about planning trips together but uh you know i mean if you're based in asia here it's not that far away um it's a bit farther from the states or from canada obviously uh but i think uh, it's well worth going
1: yeah well uh i don't have any more to say on it but uh this has been a fun one a special episode uh we hope you guys enjoyed it trevor why don't you take us out of this one
0: okay scott thank you for uh Lining uh, mats up to talk to us about Nepal, and thanks to everyone uh, who has listened today, and thanks to our sponsor, Birvana. Uh, We hope to talk with you again soon.
1: Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor
0: Tom